from deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. You can get a little closer this week. Just because I've had my first shot. So, you, uh, I'll, be, I'll still be isolating, but you can um, get within shouting distance. Or I can. The power. Oh, the power. Ladies and gentlemen, they say you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, the deceased, the recently passed. So, um, at this point in the broadcast, I think I should say this, because I mean it. It's really, it's not an obligation. It's really, it has, as uh, Henry Kissinger once said to uh, Richard Nixon, in another context, that is, has the adva- added advantage of being true. We, we've heard a lot about why Rush Limbaugh became uh, so successful, so influential in his um, last 30 years around. I think one writer, and I'm, I'm forgetting who it is that I read, put his finger on, no, I'm, I'm, I'd be guessing, put his finger on this. Because he, yeah, he was a, he was a wordsmith and he did, you know, um, we, we all know what he did. But why was he so successful, and why were so many people, both, well, not as many in his lane politically, but certainly a lot in the other lane politically, so unable to duplicate his success? Um, I present this theory. It's because he was good at radio. He He had been in radio for a while before he opened his app about politics. And so he learned those ineffable little things. You know, it, it, a lot of folks think that, well, radio, you sit down and you talk. You find somebody who likes to talk and you sit them down in front of a microphone. Boom, there you go. Drive away. Uh, a little thing called Air America proved that wasn't really true. That was the attempt to duplicate conservative talk radio success, which it didn't. And uh, that was the first time I I thought, well, you know, it it would help to bring in people who actually know about radio. Because it's a thing. It's a craft. That's about all it is. But it's a craft. And, uh, you know, when when you want somebody to build you a bookcase, a craftsman would be real handy. Or a chimney or and so um, he was good at radio. Okay, I've now not spoken ill of the dead, but on this program we believe in both sides. So I'll flip the coin a little later on in today's broadcast of Hello, Welcome to the Show. Ding, 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 ding.
tolice, é bobagem, é ilusão Eu prefiro viver tão sozinho Ao som do lamento do meu violão Doralice, eu bem que lhe disse Olha essa embrulhada em que vou me meter Agora, amor, Doralice, meu bem Como é que nós vamos fazer? Doralice, eu bem que lhe disse Amar a tolice, é bobagem, é ilusão Prefiro viver tão sozinho ao som do lamento do meu violão Doralice, eu bem que lhe disse Olha essa embrulhada em que vou me meter Agora, amor, Doralice, meu bem Como é que nós vamos fazer? Um belo dia você me surgiu Eu quis fugir, mas você insistiu Alguma coisa bem que andava me avisando Até parece que eu estava adivinhando Eu bem que não queria me casar contigo Bem que não queria enfrentar este perigo Doralice, agora você tem que me dizer Como é que nós vamos fazer? From New Orleans, Louisiana, where we we got so badly cheated on uh, Mardi Gras this year, the end of Carnival, the climax of Carnival, that uh, I tell you what, I'm going to keep eating meat. And now, news of the birds. Well, neonicotinoids are going to raise their ugly heads again in this story from um, the University of Toronto, eh? Hummingbirds need an incredible amount of energy to flap their wings 50 times a second to uh, stay hovering. Their metabolism is so supercharged that if they were human-sized, they would consume energy at a rate of more than 10 times that of an Olympic marathon runner. Now, that's an Olympic I would like. But a new University of Toronto study has found that a common agricultural pesticide might be slowing down the crucial physiological process that make hummingbirds... process that makes hummingbirds, quote, so unique, unquote. This is from a university. So unique. It's quite unique. Maybe the uniquest... 
researchers in um, the Department of Biology discovered that a common insecticide, which is chemically related to the nicotine found in tobacco, our friend the neonic, can slow the metabolism of ruby-throated hummingbirds by as much as 25% in the hours after exposure. I blame the ruby. Quote, we don't know exactly why it goes down, whether the chemical is disrupting the metabolic processes or because they simply feel sick as a result of exposure. Yeah, I feel a little down. But they definitely show a reduced metabolic rate during the first few hours after ingesting it, says the chief researcher. Neonicotinoids were introduced, as you probably know by now, from my ranting on about them on this show. In the 1990s, they're now the most common type of insecticide in the world. They're effective at killing insects because they can be transported to every part of a sprayed plant. Your leaves, your stems, your roots, your flowers, your nectar, and your fruit. They can also persist in the soil and the plant for more than a year. Like, uh, you you know, when your brother-in-law comes to visit. However, the effects of pesticide concentrations in wild birds are just beginning to be understood. The chief researcher says hummingbirds may be especially prone to the negative effects because they encounter the pesticides in a number of ways, through spraying, eating contaminated insects, and especially drinking the contaminated nectar of sprayed plants. Might put a sign on those. Caution, don't drink from me. He says it's also clear that hummingbirds are being exposed to these chemicals in the wild. Points to recent research where the chemical is found in hummingbirds that live near sprayed blueberry crops in the Fraser Valley of British Columbia. It's my favorite valley in British Columbia, by the way. The research found the chemical in the nectar of blueberry plants up to a year after it was sprayed. And also in the urine samples of hummingbirds collected during the spring and summer. The question remains about the long-term effects of chronic exposure. They just looked at the first few hours. Pesticide works by essentially paralyzing an insect's ability to breathe, is all, and move through disruption of the nervous system. And move, sorry. The insect's ability to breathe and move, breathe and move through the disruption of the nervous system. Quote, we could assume that those potential risks also exist for hummingbirds through long-time exposure. At the moment, we just don't know, says the researcher. The study was published in the journal Scientific Reports. So we're listening to the science. That's the, that was the sound of the science being folded up and thrown away. Uh, we have, we, yeah, my, uh, my companion and I ha- uh, have the acquaintanceship of a couple of hummingbirds in our um, homular area, and uh, they're cool to watch. Hate to see them slow down <laughs> and tumble slowly out of the sky. That would be a bummer. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go on record right here now on that. And uh, now, another copyrighted feature of the show for your listening pleasure. It's called News of the Warm, isn't it? I think it is. Going to have to check on that. I'll be right back. Soft listen. New research 
from uh, Clark University's Graduate School of Geography. Where is Clark University? Hands? Um, reveals this research reveals that deforestation in the U.S. does not always cause planetary warming, as uh, is commonly assumed. Instead, in some places, it actually cools the planet. Why, this is headline news. Deforestation cools the planet? A peer-reviewed study by the team at Clark University's Graduate School of Geography, published in Science Advances, says so. The team's discovery has obviously important implications for policy and management efforts that look to forests to mitigate climate change. It's well established that forests soak up carbon dioxide from the air and store it in wood and soil, slowing the accumulation of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. However, that's not their only effect on climate. Forests also tend to be darker than other surfaces, causing them to absorb more sunlight and retain heat. That's your albedo effect. We found, said the chief researcher, that in some parts of the country, like the Intermountain West, hello, Salt Lake City, more forest actually leads to a hotter planet when we consider the full climate impacts from both carbon and albedo effects, he says. It's important to consider the albedo effect of forests alongside their well-known carbon storage when aiming to cool the planet, he says. Research was funded by NASA, and uh, the research team found that for approximately one quarter of the country, forest loss causes a persistent net cooling because the albedo effect outweighs the carbon effect. He also discovered that loss of forests east of the Mississippi and in Pacific Coast states caused planetary warming, while forest loss in the Intermountain and Rocky Mountain West tended to lead to a net cooling. So they'd be too smoky, the bears now, or smoky bears. Only you can help cooling and climate change, and only you can't. The two Smokies, ladies and gentlemen, according to the uh, lead scientist, scientists have known for some time that expanding forest cover cannot be assumed to cool the planet or to mitigate global warming, though, uh, though this has not always been appreciated broadly. All right, that sound was the sound of broad appreciation. A significant portion of the planet's buried and mammal species will need to move most of their population to other countries by 2070 in pursuit of suitable climates. But, according to Inside Science, many of them might be blocked from doing so by barriers like international border walls, according to a new study. Even walls not paid for by Mexico. Oh, they don't pay for it. Uh, more than a third of birds and mammals might need to move into different countries, says um, the lead author of the study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. That's a real academy, unlike the ones I belong to. Climate change ranks as the third biggest threat to global biodiversity, after things like land use change and direct exploitation, like hunting. Ecologists are well aware the distributions of many species will shift in the coming years. Animals may not be aware of human-imposed boundaries or borders. Damn things can't read! But physical structures like forests, fences and walls, and abstract barriers like different rules and regulations regarding conservation in bordering countries can impact their ability to shift their distributions or to successfully establish new places to live where the climate is more accommodating 
to what they're used to. The uh, researchers wanted to better understand how species might move. They used data from the International Union for Conservation of Nature on 12,700 burdened mammal species combined it with the information on the climates they seem to prefer. Well, why not just add? Oh, they they use simulations to show how climates suitable for the species would shift based on global average climate models, then overlaid this on a geopolitical map. They found that a third of the species are likely to shift more than half their distribution to new countries in uh, 50 years. Some areas were hotspots of projected distribution shifts, like the western Amazon. The team also looked at areas that might have physical barriers, such as a wall. There's a huge increase in these types of barriers over the last 20 years, said one of the scientists. Birds and bats might not have a problem with that. But the analysis showed about 700 species of non-flying mammals might not be able to follow the shift in suitable, to, yeah, suitable climate across international borders due to human-made barriers. We win. See? We win. The Air Force is spending... $4.75 million. No, just $1.75 million. To gauge the effects of future sea level rise at Wake Island Airfield, located on that remote Pacific atoll. You don't know about atoll. That is a key asset in America's missile defense system. See, we think it's, some people still think it's a hoax, but not the military. This according to Stars and Stripes. The uh, inundation study contracted out last September, slated for completion next March. The purpose of contracting this study is to gather data, better prepare for future military construction projects, said the statement. Hey, that means new contracts. Jupiter, a climate analytics firm in California, has been subcontracted to conduct the study that will anticipate future sea level rise and flooding on the airfall airfield in Micronesia, the company said last week. Wake Island uh, in case you don't have a map on your phone, 1,500 miles east of Guam, there, that does it, right? And 2,300 miles west of the Hawaiian Islands. It holds great significance to the Air Force, does the airfield, because it serves as a trans-Pacific refueling depot for military missions, in addition to being a training and missile testing location. Can't go boom if it's splashing. And... Acres of asphalt parking lots, unshaded roads, dense apartment complexes, neighborhoods with few parks. They have taken their toll, as might be expected, mainly on the poor. As climate change accelerates, low-income districts in the southwestern United States are 4 to 7 degrees hotter, on average, than wealthy neighborhoods in the same metro regions. This is from researchers at the University of California, Davis, who took time out from figuring out a new way to screw with wine. Or tomatoes. The study provides the most detailed mapping yet of how summer temperatures in 20 urban centers in California, Nevada, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas affected different neighborhoods between 2018 and 2020. Researchers found even greater heat disparities in California than in other states, the largest showing up in the Riverside and San Bernardino areas, which is where people move to when they need to work in Los Angeles but also need affordable housing. 
The unequal impact on Latino communities was especially apparent, the author said in Los Angeles on a hot summer day. The most heavily Latino neighborhoods were six and a half degrees hotter than the least Latino neighborhoods. Quote, the study provides strong new evidence of climate impact disparities affecting disadvantaged communities and the need for proactive steps to reduce those risks, said the lead author of the study. Authors said lower social economic groups often have less access to cooled housing, transportation, workplaces, and schools. Excess heat can cause heat stroke, exhaustion, and amplified respiratory and cardiovascular vascular issues. It's long been known paved surfaces of urban areas absorb and retain solar radiation, making it hotter. The surrounding suburbs, more plant life, parks, or bodies of water will be cooler, creating heat islands in the denser areas. It's a good place to plan for your next vacation. Just a nearby heat island. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. It is a... um, Well, you know it is. I say it often enough. You can say it with me, but not now. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. From CPR, Public Radio's intimate one-on-one conversational platform. It's mouth-to-mouth. I'm Mary Edith Barzillay. In the rough and tumble of American politics, nobody has been rougher or done more tumbling than Ted Cruz. He withstood withering attacks on his wife and father from Donald Trump before becoming one of the former president's key supporters. And this week, he's been generating plenty of online static with his decision to leave Texas to take his family to Cancun. Senator Ted Cruz, welcome to Mouth to Mouth. Well, thank you, Mary Edith. I have to say... I'm not uh, surprised that public radio chooses a moment of disaster for whole Texans to distract us with bashing the former president. I was hoping uh, at this time of suffering for so many Texans uh, that we could put aside the venom and vitriol that characterize our politics these days. I know my fellow Texans join me in doing our best to find just a little more unity as they try to recover. I know I do. And in my heart, I think it's uh, true that public radio listeners do, too. At least I hope they do, even though they're not going through what uh, we Texans are going through, thank God. Senator, you've said in previous interviews that your decision to fly with your family to Cancun in the middle of the blackout was because of your preteen daughters. Isn't this a lot of responsibility to place on the shoulders of 10- and 12-year-old girls? You know, I have to say it's it's somewhat shocking to hear from a female anchor in, in 2021 that there are some things that women and girls just can't do. That's not the way Heidi and I have tried to raise our two girls. We spent two days at home with them with no electricity or water, like millions of other Texans. And when they asked if we couldn't get out of there, we made the parental decision to listen to them, to accede to their wishes, to give them the agency they deserve. Frankly, even though we got some unthinking criticism elsewhere, I uh, I kind of thought public radio people might understand. I, I can only say uh, I'm sorry about that. I just have to say, Senator, on behalf of my colleagues here at CPR, that we have both agency and agents. Mm. In other interviews, you've talked about second thoughts the minute you sat down in the airplane. Mm-hmm. Were those your first second thoughts? Did you think 
while you were in the airport about letting your wife take the girls to Cancun without you? Well, I'll be honest with you, Mary Edith. I'm kind of an old-fashioned husband. Um, I'm extremely proud of my wife. She's an able and accomplished person in her own right as well as an awesome mother. But uh, telling her to get on an airplane with our two daughters and go to some place in another country that we've been to only a dozen or two times seemed to me then, still does, as a derogation of my duty, every bit as great as the one I've been accused of. You said someplace in another country. Mm-hmm. It was a Four Seasons luxury hotel, right? Well, it was not a Four Seasons landscaping. I'll gladly concede that point. Uh, we are blessed, uh, Mary Edith. Many Texans are blessed, and we're able to go to a nice place when we travel. But I'll tell you something. If all we could have afforded was a, a humble Motel 6, I think we would have gone there, too, as I think millions of Texans would. So you've been back from Mexico for several days now. Mm-hmm. What have you been doing? Well, to be honest, Mary Edith, I've been engaging with my fellow Texans through interviews like this one explaining my recognition of my own mistake in trying to be a good dad as well as a good senator at a time when everyone is suffering, even some people who had to seek refuge in Cancun. You know, my wife and daughters are coming back to Texas tonight. We don't know whether their school flooded. So, Speaking of your home, is it true that you left your dog Snowflake behind when your family took this trip? You know, Mary Edith, for the life of me, I can't comprehend why anyone who wants to be considered a serious journalist would stoop to this kind of question, but okay, I'll get down in the mud with you for just this moment. The airline told us that they wouldn't be able to give Snowflake the kind of treatment they usually do because of the COVID restrictions without a payment which any self-respecting Texan would regard as ridiculous. And so I would just single out our two girls who joined millions of Texans who had to sacrifice this week, in this case by letting us leave Snowflake behind in the care of our great security people. I think any Texan who had the benefit of great security people would have made the same choice we did. At least I hope so. Knowing what you know now, Senator, what would you have done differently? Well, that's one of those what-if questions, but I'll tell you this. I would have gone with my wife and my two very strong-willed daughters to the airport with Snowflake, and then I think I would have seen them off and then pivoted right away to doing interviews. And I think any Texan in my shoes or boots would do the same thing. Senator Ted Cruz, thanks for going mouth-to-mouth. My pleasure, seriously, and I... I hope we can turn down the passion. And Funds for this program came from the Crest Foundation, filling society's cavities. I'm Mary Edith Barzillay. Next week, more mouth to mouth. This is CPR, public radio that listens to you. Right. 
That's right, you're not protected. That's right, you're not protected. Texas wants you anyway. That's right, you're not protected. That's right, you're not protected. That's right, you're not protected. Texas wants you anyway. That's right, you're not protected. That's right, you're not protected. That's right, you're not protected. Texas wants you anyway. Texas wants you anyway. From non-Texas, New Orleans, Louisiana, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Clean, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Dateline Tokyo. A Japanese high court this week overturned a lower court decision. That decision had dismissed the Japanese government's responsibility in the Fuk crisis. Now, both the government and the crippled nuclear plant's operator, TEPCO, have been ordered to pay damages to 43 people who had to evacuate from their hometown as a result of the thing. Tokyo High Court ordered the state to cover the total total damages of $2.63 million, together with TEPCO, following the precedent set by the uh, high court last September. It marked the third high court ruling among 30 lawsuits of a similar type filed across the country, and the second in which both the state and the utility were ordered to pay damages over radioactive contamination following the meltdowns at the plant. Well, there's another cost factored in, another externality. Presiding judge said it was extremely unreasonable for the government not to use its regulatory power to force the operator to take preventive measures against the tsunami. If it had done so, said the judge, the impact of the tsunami would have been significantly reduced and the facility would not have lost all power. Oh, so now it's the regulator's fault for not sufficiently regulating. The court also ruled that the Evacuees should be compensated for their mental distress in addition to the amount to be awarded to them as consolation for prolonged evacuation. And cooling water levels have fallen in two reactors at the wrecked Fuke plant since a powerful earthquake hit the area last weekend. Who could have who could have predicted that? Who would have imagined that? Er- oh, that uh, indicates possible additional damage," said Tepco. New damage could further complicate the plant's already difficult decommissioning process, according to the Associated Press. That's expected to take oh, just decades. Tepco spokesperson said the drop in water levels in the Unit One and Three reactors indicates the existing damage to their primary containment chambers were worsened by the 7.3 on the Richter scale quake a week ago, allowing more water to leak. The leaked water is believed to remain inside the reactor buildings. There's no sign of any outside impact, he said, except for what happens to the water in those buildings. TAPCO will monitor the water and temperatures at the bottom of the containment vessels, according to a spokesman. But, you see, cooling water has been escaping constantly from the damaged primary containment vessels into the basements 
of the buildings to make up for the loss. Additional cooling water has been pumped into the reactors to ease and cool the melted fuel remaining inside them. The recent decline in the water levels means more water is leaking out, says TEPCO, into the basement. Well, where, where does it go then? Oh, by the way, TEPCO originally reported there was no abnormality at the plant from uh, Saturday's earthquake, last Saturday's earthquake, even though it triggered landslides, damaged homes, and uh, a high-speed rail line and caused widespread power and water supply disruptions. But TEPCO said, no, 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 no. And now the cooling water level has fell as much as 27 inches in the primary chamber of the Unit 1 reactor. TEPCO wasn't able to determine any decline in Unit 2 because indicators have been taken out to prepare for the removal of melted debris. So who knows? Increased leakage could require more cooling water to be pumped into the reactors, so more contaminated water that's treated and stored in huge tanks at the plant. Okay, so far the outside world is fine, except that TEPCO says its storage capacity of 1.3 million tons will be full by the summertime. And a government panel has recommended that the water be gradually released into the sea, although that's faced fierce opposition from local residents and fishers, and the decision is still pending. So the outside world is fine for now, until the thing. News of our friend the Atom, ladies and gentlemen. And now, news of the Olympic movement. We'll kind of scramble through this. Under the athlete guidelines for the rescheduled Tokyo Olympics, athletes will not be allowed to shake hands, hug, or socialize one another with one another. The guidelines state they should avoid unnecessary forms of physical contact. They'll undergo virus testing at least once every four days. Any athlete who tests positive for COVID will be barred from competing. The Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games Organizing Committee has apologized to the event's sponsors over the remarks made by its president, its former president, he resigned over these remarks, Mori Yoshiro. They were criticized as sex, as he had said at meetings, female members of uh, boards and committees talk too much. The um, committee held an online meeting for about 80 sponsors, during which it apologized for the comments. Well, that, should, that should fix it. The fallout from those remarks continues to spread. At least three runners for the Olympic torch relay have decided to withdraw, including a 57-year-old man from Fouke. He had hoped to help boost his community, but he says he finds it unacceptable that the uh, organizing committee and the government appear to be defending Mori as they were before he resigned. More than 500 volunteers have decided to pull out in the week since he made the controversial remarks. Maybe his resignation will bring them back. With his departure, the four people who served as the face of the Japanese capital's bid for the Olympics have now all left their positions under what the Japanese newspaper, the Mainichi, reports are irregular circumstances. When Tokyo was awarded the right to host the games or the obligation. Back in September 2013, 
Naoki Inose was governor of Tokyo. Tsunikaze Takeda was president of the Olympic Committee. Shinzo Abe was, vice, uh, was prime minister, and Mori was chair of the uh, 2020 council. Doesn't it seem like the Tokyo Olympics might be cursed? Said one source close to the Japanese Olympic Committee with a troubled expression, according to the Mainichi. Inose resigned the governorship after the discovery he received about $476,000 from Tokushukai Group, an incorporated medical institution. In January 2019, it emerged that Takeda was being investigated by French judicial authorities over suspicions of improper activity during the bidding process. He uh, resigned. Then Prime Minister Abe maintained that the situation at TEPCO at Fouk was under control. He took the stage at the handover ceremony for the Olympics dressed as video game character Mario. Pre-existing illness forced him to step down in August of last year. So they're all gone. Cursed? Or not? You decide. Because it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison apologized this week to a former government staffer who alleged she was raped by a colleague in Parliament House two years ago. He promised an investigation into the alleged assault and the culture inside the country's political capital a day after the former staff member went to the media with her story. I, of course, blame the media. Woodward Radio Group... <coughs> That was a cool move. Woodward Radio Group has suspended morning host Len Nelson for a Facebook post he made about talk show host Rush Limbaugh after his death. The radio station released a statement that said Nelson's personal views aren't reflective of the core values of the Woodward Radio Group. We're deeply committed to being good people. The statement reads... Radio management are good people. We appreciate our listeners, sponsors, and advertisers and want to assure each one of you this matter is being addressed swiftly. Nelson's post has been deleted. Nelson himself posted an apology on Facebook in which he said he'd been suspended and it's possible he may be fired. But he hopes to work with management. Quote, while I was no fan of Limbaugh, my post clearly disrespected him and in turn disrespected those who were his fans. And those who feel that what I wrote was unbecoming, mean, or even disgusting. In the past, I said I do not celebrate his death, but also do not feel sorrow for it. That was insensitive, unquote. He's a radio guy. What do you expect from his writing? Four days after an Indiana art museum first apologized for language in a job description for a new director, its board named a, issued a public statement that President Charles Venable, former director of the Speed Art Museum. Man, if they if I'd known they offer speed in an art museum, I'd have, he has resigned and they plan to move forward with more changes. We're sorry, we've made mistakes. We've let you down, the statement said. We're ashamed of the leadership and of ourselves. We've ignored, excluded, and disappointed members of our community and staff. We pledge to do better. Uh, this was uh, because of a statement 
by the now former director, who um, said, I'm not able to talk right now and said he would not be able to talk in the future. He had um, approved a job posting which the museum said it sought a director to attract a broader and more diverse audience while maintaining the museum's traditional core white art audience. I wouldn't be talking right now either if I was him. Deadline Chattanooga. Chattanooga mayoral candidate Tim Kelly has apologized for a comment he made on Facebook. After the news broke that Limbaugh had died, he made the comment on a post by a Chattanooga resident, Andrew Clark, who wrote, Rush Limbaugh died as a caption to a photo featuring a cross-stitch that says, I can do all things through spite, which strengthens me. Kelly since deleted the comment he made. It contained an image shared widely that featured a quote misattributed to Mark Twain. I've never wished a man dead, but I have read some obituaries with great pleasure. I recently shared a quote, says Kelly, in social media, which I quickly deleted. Weighing in on that day was insensitive and I should not have done it. I believe the best way to handle a mistake is to first own up to it and then do better in the future. Crest, Popker and Gamble Company, makes Crest, is reconsidering using Chris Harrison of The Bachelor in upcoming advertising for Crest whitening emulsions given his controversy-linked hiatus from the show. He said last week he's temporarily stepping back from his role in the reality series after blowback against his comments about a contestant who was reportedly photographed at an antebellum plantation-themed fraternity event in 2018. We're aware of the developments around Chris Harrison and his role as host of The Bachelor, said P&G. We're in the process of gathering more information about these circumstances to determine our next steps. We're deeply disappointed in his comments, which do not reflect our values. The values of Crest. Harrison said the pictures of the uh, former Bachelor contestant were from a long time ago, and decried the cancel culture backlash. I just know that, I don't know, 50 million people did that in 2018. That was a type of a party that a lot of people went to. And again, I'm not defending it. I didn't go to it. Then he apologized. And there goes Crest into the distance. The head of Britain's MI6 intelligence service apologized this week to gay spies and aspiring spies who were fired to deny jobs because of their sexuality. Richard Moore said in a video statement on Twitter that a ban on LGBT spies that lasted until 1991 was, quote, wrong, unjust, and discriminatory. By the way, he was appointed last year as C, the code name given to the director of Britain's Overseas Intelligence Agency. And now you know his code name. (laughs) Yes, it seems kind of against the idea of a secret spy agency to make his code name public in an apology, but it's a new world. Prop Mud, Mod, Prop Mod, the comedy company that manages the employment system, the appointment system for Massachusetts COVID vaccine sites has taken full responsibility for its role in Thursday's site crash. It's working with the state to make sure it doesn't happen again. They apologized. PJ Vote host of the popular podcast Reply All took a leave of absence this week after complaints from former colleagues that he and a senior reporter contributed to a toxic work environment and rallied against union organizing. 
that many employees of color saw as necessary. Vote and the senior reporter each apologized on Wednesday in statements on Twitter. The CVS in Ipswich, Massachusetts, is contacting patients who received the COVID-19 vaccine at its location to let them know they got a smaller dose than they should have. CVS had a limited number of patients who received the Moderna vaccine at the Central Street location in Ipswich were inadvertently given smaller doses. Congregation Etz Chaim's Shabbat service, this is in Atlanta, was Zoom-bombed this week, taking the congregation of about 50 attendees by surprise. The congregation apologized. And a technology and executive in California has apologized for holding a conference in Culver City, after which two dozen attendees and staff members at the event tested positive for COVID. The executive was uh, among those who got the virus. He hosted the conference in un, sorry, an annual summit for paid membership group called Abundance 360 indoors in late January. About 80 attendees, panelists, support staff, they flouted guidance from public health officials in L.A. County. And they sorry. And um, now, ladies and gentlemen, we've had apologies about comments made about the passing of Rush Limbaugh. But as I said at the beginning of the program, I'm flipping the coin back to a time when he had just left the air temporarily to enter treatment for his drug addiction. Now, from inside an undisclosed treatment facility, the most listened to drug addict in America on a rush to recovery. Rush Limbaugh! Greetings, counselors and tough love administrators all across the fruited plain of my mind. With talent on loan from God and half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair for the other half, which is still loaded to the flipping gills, I am your avatar of broadcast turpitude, Rush Limbaugh. I want to thank uh, Roger Hitchcock for taking the reins of my radio broadcast for the next little while, but uh, here in the abstinence and broadcasting building that is my own cerebral cortex, we're embarking on the third of an unknown number of hours in the Limbaugh Institute of Advanced Conservative Revisionism, because my friends, cold turkey is something far worse than what you eat the day after Thanksgiving. This is a, a situation that I take full responsibility for, even though it was caused by one stupid housekeeper with a big mouth. And I acknowledge that I have often treated those addicted to or, or just using drugs with uh, great uh, contempt and, and, and lack of compassion, advocating that they should be arrested, tried, and jailed. But my friends, and, 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 and I wonder at this point if you are, my friends, those, those weak, undisciplined adherents of a degenerate lifestyle which threatened the very fabric of a God-fearing community had one very dramatic shortfall in their characters. They, they weren't me. But now I'm not me either. I'm not a conventional air mattress. I'm totally adjustable. 
Environazos and feminazis, the homeless and the Democrats who would like nothing better than to have Saddam Hussein as their presidential candidate next year. I love you all. Now, even though I'm uh, not on the air, and, and th this is this is pretty uh, this is pretty impressive technology, more impressive than the procedure that restored my hearing after it mysteriously disappeared with no connection to any overuse of prescription medication. We we have a caller. I really don't know how this is working, but um, hello, you're on the AIB network. Hey, Rush, it's uh, it's Bill Clinton, longtime target, first-time caller. Well, uh, President Clinton, I'm, yeah. I'm really not prepared for this. Uh, my uh, my mind's only on three-second delay, so... Uh, don't, don't, don't worry, man, I'm not going to swear at you. I'm going to do something that's going to make you feel so much worse. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what's that, sir? Make, make me go on a date with Mrs. Clinton? <laughs> no, Rush. Mm. I'm going to feel your pain. Oh, no. And you're going to feel mine because I'm going to play a saxophone solo over the telephone. Uh -oh. Hold on. Let, let's, let's put this call on hold. And uh, let me... Um, let me continue here with my exegesis of uh, my position because uh, this is important. It's about the future of of excellence or the excellence of the future. And um, speaking of the future, my next book, I Told You I Was Right and I Was Wrong, is due out shortly after I am. I really should be working on it right now rather than engaging you, my friends of the brain cell audience. But I have always respected you. And given you the benefit of your own thoughts, and uh, and now we find the liberals doing what they always do, and I've told you this, they always try to give me 50 milligrams of Vicodin instead of the 80s, but that's what liberals do. And um, in my new book, I told you I was writing, I'm, uh, I'm a liberal too, because uh, because to tell you the truth, at the base of all this, ladies and gentlemen, has been a deep and abiding physical attraction to the late Bella Abzug. You can try her yourself in your own home for 30 days, risk-free. But, uh, but this is what is gnawing away at the traditional values that hold this country together, my friends, and it is, in fact, my next book. I told you I was gnawing away at the traditional values that hold this country together. Um, we've got another caller. And I, I want to pay uh, tribute to the engineers here at the uh, Betty Ford Institute for Advanced Nonlinear Studies for putting it through. Hello, you're on the AIB Network on Open Line Friday. Uh, Rush, it's, it's John Ashcroft, and it's Thursday. Sir, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the call, but mm -hmm. uh, it is my hallucination, and that kind of obviates the conventional calendar approach. Rush, and, Rush I, I know you have a lot of time to fill, but mm -hmm. I've got detainees to sort. I, uh, I just wanted to call up and say God wants his talent back. You know, Mr. General, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't believe in... Um, in coincidence, but I was just writing the other day in the Limbaugh letter, the most consistently authoritative political newsletter in the history of the known universe, that uh, that I don't believe in coincidence. <laughs> How about that? Rush, this treatment stuff is the bunk. Why don't you just come over to the Justice Department and sing hymns with us every morning? Have you off the sauce in no time. Well, uh, Mr. General, thank you very much for the call. I think we're running out of time on the satellite. I, I am... Uh, I am curious about one thing. How did you get this number? 
time been bugging Bill Clinton's calls. John Ashcroft, ladies and gentlemen, taking the time to connect with the largest audience of time-release narcotic molecules in the history of broadcast access. We're just beginning this excursion into my new book. I told you I was white, but we, uh, we got some bills to pay and um, some nausea to deal with. And then we will be back with more of the Rush Limbaugh program, so I urge you not to go away. And if you do, please take me with you. Oh, and one more apology. President Joe Biden's choice to lead the Office of Management and Budget apologized this week for spending years attacking top Republicans on social media. She tried to convince senators she'll leave partisan politics behind if confirmed. Neera Tandon also admitted to spending many months removing her Twitter posts, saying, I deleted tweets because I regretted them. She refused to say she did so to help her nomination. I deeply regret and apologize for my language. I know there have been some concerns about some of my past language. I regret that language and take responsibility for it. Thanks, Nira. Because I received, I was, I was the target of some of those. But I can't vote for confirmation. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time on these same radio stations on your uh, uh, audio device of choice whenever you want it. That's how we roll here. And it would be just like rolling somewhere else if you agreed to join with me then. But you already thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. You can email me. Find out how. Find out how you can get Cars I Talk t-shirts. Find out the music you heard heard here today or ever. All. You can find all of that out at harryshearer.com. And you can find me on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities. <laughs> I'm getting get new teeth. Through the facilities of WWN in New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans. <laughs>